Welcome once again to Missing Bits, the podcast for amputees and non-amputees. We don't discriminate here. I'm Gary, and today I have the pleasure of chatting to Jay Robertson. Jay is 76, married with three kids, and has a couple of grandchildren and lives in Sydney. Jay has been an amputee since 1979 and is a peer support volunteer with Limbs for Life. Welcome aboard, Jay. How things today? Oh, pretty warm here in in uh, Sydney. Um, just hoping that uh, the, the the rain keeps off for the um, Saturday afternoon game of golf. Oh, for sure. Yep. Speaking of, speaking of golf, I believe you guys have a thing for nicknames down there. Uh yes, yeah, I've copped a few uh, nicknames because I. Uh, did a lot of marshalling uh, at the major golf tournaments. Peter Hines, who was so probably involved with the um, the Australian PGA, he used to uh, call me uh, Peg Leg, so I copped <laughs> a few. Yeah, no, no, one of the the best ones. A few guys at the the golf club, they're a, um, they're a bit behind times. They thought it was a, a artificial leg was was wooden, and they used to call me termites. <laughs> Nice. Nice I, I still, I still cop that a bit. <laughs> I was, I was watching a um a video t- the other day of an amputee, and he was he was talking about stupid questions, um people ask him, and um someone asked him, look, pointed at his leg and said, um, you know, is is that false? And he said yes, and and then they like, they said so. What about your foot? Is that false too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I, that's, uh, I had a funny experience. <laughs> I had, had a bit of a... Um, oh, that's all right. No, when I had the... Because um, I had to have the quadriceps in my good knee reattached because I had a bad fall in the city. Right. And so when they, they took me to emergency at Sydney Hospital, because they, they wanted to check uh, my blood pressure and my heart, Yep. Anyway, she tried. She tried to, you know, when they do the the ECG. Yes. She tried to, didn't realise that they had an artificial leg, and she's putting the, uh, the trying to put the sensor on the leg. But <laughs> 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 uh, quite quite a few years ago, I did a massage course, um, learning to have a massage therapist, and um, we used to practice on each other. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I was on the table and this girl picked up my leg to check my leg measurements <laughs> and it just slipped off in her hands and yeah, it wasn't pretty. Oh, are you an amputee yourself as well? Yes, I am. Oh, huh? right. Yep, I'm, yes. a, I'm a sign amputee. I had my foot off when I was five in 1968. Oh, oh gee, that was a long time ago. You're not wrong. You, you would have been... You you would have been quite young then. Yeah, I was five years old, mate. Yeah, and uh, basically, um, you probably um, you really wouldn't, you know, um, because you're that young, you really wouldn't have even missed not having a foot. Well, I don't remember much about having a foot. I remember um, little things. Um, my the foot that I was born with was quite badly deformed. And they left it. All right. They left it to Yeah, were you, if it's not a, not a personal question, were you thalidomide baby? No, I wasn't. No, a few people have asked me that because it's the right time frame, but no. Yeah, no, because uh, Jeff Nicholas, uh, or Little Jack, 
yeah. um, who, who I know uh, personally through my involvement with the Amputee Association because he was the thalidomide baby. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he did, he did uh, very well because he actually uh, secured his um, tour card in, I think it was 1984. Yeah. And my, mine's actually related to a genetic thing called um, ectodactyl. Um, oh, okay. Which affects, it affects hands. Um, so mm-hmm. my, my left hand is deformed um, and it can affect feet. And so I got a hand and a foot. All right. Yeah, actually... Uh, I so probably uh, was volunteering just recently at the uh, the wheelchair world rugby championships, yep. and it was amazing to actually uh, see uh, you know how wheelchair rugby was played because uh, I was exposed to it for the very first time. But Riley Bat, save who is probably the uh, the best wheelchair rugby uh, player in the the, the world. Um, he's got deformed hands. Yeah, yeah, well, I've got but, one. Yeah. But how he was able, <clears throat> pardon me, to manoeuvre the, the wheelchair was just um, amazing. And they, and they have an actual rating. And uh, so I think two is, say, probably um, like the, the, the best, but they have to have at least one person, um, say, who is classified as a... Um, a four and a half. Now the four and a half they had in the the French team, it was actually built like a brick outhouse. He would have made a good front row forward, yep. but his um, on his left uh, left arm, he it was amputated above the uh, above the elbow, and on his right arm, his uh, it was amputated below the elbow, and and of course he was there for. Um, for one thing only, and that was um, to act as a blocker. But the way he was still able to manoeuvre his wheelchair was just amazing. And I mean, you, us, us people with disabilities, you know, um, we probably sometimes we think that we've got it pretty, uh, pretty bad. But I mean, there's always somebody out there who's probably a hell of a lot worse off than what you are. Yep, absolutely. You can see it just by walking around the corner. Yep, yep. And uh, when I had this uh, this operation on my knee, I had to have the quadricep uh, reattached. I was in, um, say, a private hospital um, for about two weeks and because um, I had my right leg in a brace from my ankle right up to the hip, so I, I couldn't move it because there was no flax. And I thought, oh, when I came into the, uh, into the, uh, the, uh, the hospital... Um, I'd be the only one to blow me down. There was another guy who had his uh, his leg amputated, or they even had to take off half uh, most of his hip, and he had a wore his artificial leg in a harness, and he'd had um, a similar thing. He was on the uh, trampoline with his daughter, and yeah. actually snapped the uh, the quadricep, yeah. and uh, he was discharged. So probably I was only. Uh, I still had a week to go, but they blow me down. There was a young young guy who was once again on a trampoline uh, with his daughter, and he managed to actually uh, snap through the quadriceps in in both legs. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, yeah, he actually was in a, a thing like they they have for um, 
uh, people who have had strokes because both both legs were actually in in leg braces from the ankle right up to the uh, the the uh, the knee. So I, you know, I, I uh, didn't have too much trouble uh, showering and things like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. So there's always somebody out out there who's probably a hell of a lot worse off you than you, and so probably doing it a lot tougher. True enough. So you're yep. you're retired now. What sort of job did you do before you retired? Um, well, I was um, payroll payroll manager. I was uh, had a lot of jobs. Um, the big full time job was um, working for uh, doing the payroll for Red Cross, and then I became a carer for um, my mother. And that went on for about seven and a half years. So I was actually just doing um, part part time work. Uh, working for a payroll company, uh, Micropay, but uh, was very busy at the end of the the year because they'd get me to come in and say probably um, wind things down if, um, and close things off at the end of the year and do the um, the uh, the payroll summaries or the old group certificates. But the there was one very big job that I was proud of. I had to uh, wind up the the end of the year for the Sydney Stock Exchange. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'd done a lot, uh, a lot of um, jobs. So I was doing. I did that for quite a few years, and then finally retired at the age of um, sixty-eight. But I keep myself um, pretty busy because of my involvement with the uh, the blind golfers, um, my golf, and also um, volunteering at the Australian National Maritime Museum, which I'm coming into my uh, 15th um, year, so I'm kept pretty uh, pretty busy. Yep, you haven't got time for work. <laughs> no, no, and I actually, um, I was asked to, say, probably um, go back into the uh, payroll side of it. I'd say probably would have been into retirement about 12 months and then um, probably... Um, you know, had a bit of a think, think about, and I thought, no, 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 I, <laughs> I've done my bit. <laughs> yeah, but at the uh, the the moment, we're doing so probably because um, uh, mother passed away in 2010. She was 99 when she died, but oh. um, there was quite a lot of running backwards and forwards. And then uh, my wife's mother passed away, and then we're more or less acting as carers for. Um, my father-in-law, who was um, who was 90, 96 years old, Goodness and me. living on his own, but it's backwards and forwards, and he had a bad fall just recently, and uh, about four months ago, and fractured his pelvis in three places, and this is amongst quite a lot of other falls that he'd um, he'd had. Yep. So we kept kept pretty uh, pretty busy with that. Sure. Yeah. Where, where did you grow up in Sydney? Yeah, in, in Sydney. Um, my mother came from um, Ardleton, which is so probably in the uh, in the, the, the Riverina. Her um, her father was a, a farmer. Her brother was a farmer. And so I used to uh, spend quite a lot of time during the school holidays in September, initially down on the, uh, the farm. And then, of course, my... Um, Grandfather sold his farm because he's getting too old, and then bought a, the uh, the house uh, in town. And of course, my mother said, said to me, "The worst thing I did was take you actually down to uh, my father's place for the um, when I was just uh, 
well, supposed to be studying for the leaving certificate, so I'm actually sitting on a bloody fence post what, looking after his sheep while I'm trying to study. <laughs> <laughs> what, what sort of student were you? Oh, not too crash hot. Yeah. No, I guess um, I probably should have left it um, at, at, at third year and um, so probably taken a trade, although I did um, do accountancy, but my son was similar. He hated school, and he so probably left at year year ten and went and um, left early uh, to do work experience. But he's now he's now running his own uh, business very successfully. He's um, a licensed shop fitter, so he builds and designs um, kitchens. He's done he's he's done some very big jobs. One of the big uh, biggest jobs that he did was just recently was for the uh, the uh, the Chinese horse club down at Wollongong. Right. Yeah. So he's going quite well. My daughters have all my daughters have all got um, the two daughters have got um, very good uh, very good jobs. So uh, yeah, I think we did something right when they were growing up. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like it. Now your yeah. grand, your grandfather had a shipping company. Yeah, um, yes, this was um, on uh, my father's my father's side. Uh, I never knew um, my grandfather uh, because he uh, he uh, died in nineteen twenty. Right now, dad dad and his twin brother were born in um, eighteen ninety eight, and dad when I was born in forty two, dad was. 45. So I came along. I had a, a sister who was about seven or eight years older than than me. But yes, they had the the shipping company had formed um, the company with um, a company uh, Ivan Nelson. So it was known as Nelson and Roberts, and the um, the company's still going today. But they had a number of um, wooden uh, wooden ships, and the uh, this is going back in the uh, the late. Or early 1890s, um, they were taking a shipment of timber of all places to New Zealand, and it's up past Cox Harbour, a place called Walgorga, and in that area is, uh, there's a well-known area called the Solitary Islands, and um, it's subject to uh, severe tides, heavy winds, and um, so they, they had a big finger wharf which went out about 100 metres anyway. The, the, the buster was actually moored alongside there and a heavy storm uh, came up through the night. So it uh, broke its uh, moorings and uh, finished up on the, uh, the beach at Wulgorga. Wow. And um, so they, the, the people at, um, at Wulgorga didn't know... Um, who owned the 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 Barkentine and uh, one of my cousins, uh, who was the head librarian for the AMP, uh, she'd been doing a family history, and my cousin, had, uh, other cousin, had actually sent me a photo of the uh, the the wreck, and I thought, oh yeah, that's nice. Anyway, I'd suddenly uh, twig, so I'd actually got in touch with them at Woolgorga, and I uh, went up and was interviewed by the, the, the local paper. But the interesting thing about the, uh, the wreck, that um, because of the tides and the winds, most of the, uh, the time um, the wreck is almost fully exposed, but with the, the tides and the winds, um, what's left of the wreck becomes 
fully exposed. So it's more or less a bit of a um, uh, a, a tourist attraction. Uh, they they know who who owned it, but the because uh, it's it's protected them. They've got a million dollar uh, bounty on it if anybody's um, seen. Um, taking uh, uh, taking any um, souvenirs, wow. but when wow. the uh, the the Barkentine was actually built in Passborough, Nova Scotia, and eventually came out here, but when say Ivan and my grandfather George actually bought the the buster, it apparently had it landed in Melbourne, and they were bringing it up to to Sydney um, with cargo on board. It was loaded to the gunnels with dynamite. Oh no. Yeah, so it eventually eventually made up made it up here, and so probably they'd um, uh, done um, a lot of um, say um, travelling up and uh, up the top end of Australia and across to New Guinea and places and pla- and a lot of the islands around there, and uh, of course, um, but. George, my grandfather, he became very ill and um, passed away. Also, probably he died at 60, so he had to actually quit the uh, the company. But uh, Ivan Nelson um, is no longer with us, but he's uh, his family say have an interest in the uh, in the company. But the uh, the company is still going by the name of Nelson and Robertson even to this day. There you go. And they're based over at North Sydney. Okay. So where where did you meet your wife? Um, blind date. Wow, eh? Yeah, blind date. And this is back in the days when I was going to the the the, the rugby. So the first time I took her out was to to a rugby match and then to a pub and then down to Dremoyne Sailing Club where we used to go quite a lot. Yep. And uh, I prop- I proposed after. a... Hunter's Hill had rather a good win, so it was all terribly, all terribly romantic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it must have, it must have paid off. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. So we've been married for uh, well over uh, forty years. Uh, the eldest daughter, she's she's forty. My son's thirty-eight, and I've got a younger, the youngest daughter, she's thirty-six. So um, yeah, but. Um, They've all got they've all got um, very very good jobs. Excellent. And you got a couple of grandkids. How are you enjoying that? Two grandkids. Um, uh, uh, Ava, she's five. She's just started school. Um, and young my grandson, he's just turned three. Ashley, uh, he's a bit of a handful. <laughs> he's just just like his father. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, yeah, we we had a bit of fun with him when he's growing up. He's, you know, rather lively. But Ashley's Ashley's exactly the same as him. But um, he, um, they're both actually getting both of them interested into uh, into golf. Okay. And actually, I, I got uh, my son Brad interested in in uh, golf at an early age, um, but. Back in those days, I had to buy. Um, they didn't have these junior clubs, so I had to buy men's clubs yep. and have them have them cut down. Right. But I think I think uh, Santa Claus is bringing both of them a uh, a set of golf clubs for Christmas. He's a good guy, that Santa Claus, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> no, I actually I wanted an electric train set when I was growing. I never got one. Oh no. 
<laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, back in those days, I mean, I'd got a train set, but was uh, it was one of those wind-up ones. Right, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it's better so, than... So, geez, I've had a deprived childhood. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was just no. about to say, it's better than the lump of coal I got. Yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was... You know, things were... Things were tough in those days, and I mean, uh, you were lucky to say probably, um, you know, to to get something at, at, at Christmas. Yeah, my my biggest thing when I was a kid, my my birthday is actually less than a week before Christmas, and I used to be furious that I'd get one present for both. Yeah, well, actually, my my wife um, is her birthday is two days before yep. Christmas. Yeah, and our probably um, we were married two days before my birthday. Yeah, so we got the wedding anniversary and birthday pretty close to together. Um, yep. When my wife was gr- growing up, yeah, she was certainly doing it, um, doing it tough um, because uh, my grand, uh, my father-in-law, he came from a very large family coal coal mining uh, area of New. Um, of up Newcastle Way, uh, called Weston. Um, there was eleven children in the um, in the uh, the family, so they did it very very tough. And even when he came to Sydney and got married, um, he was uh, an apprentice for um, Victor Churchill, who owned the uh, the butcher shop in Queen Street, Wallara. So um, he he started his apprenticeship and great uh, ends up. So probably uh, buying the uh, the uh, the business, who then he in turn sold it to his solicitor, who in turn leased the uh, the butcher shop um, to uh, an organisation called Vix Mates here in in Sydney. And um, if you if you like uh, lamb cutlets and you want to pay sixty dollars a kilo, well you I, go to Vix Meats. Yeah, no, I do not like to do that. No. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, he's uh, he um, he re- uh, still more or less sold the uh, the business side of it to his um, nephew while he still owned the the premises, and uh, he used to work um, in the the butcher shop coming up to Christmas time because it was very busy with all the Christmas orders. But um, now he's. Um, you know, he's been retired for um, quite a long time at the age of um, 96. Yep. But um, he's the, um, the, the the last one standing after a, fa- a, a family of 11. Wow. Yep. That's huge. And um, he's he's coming up to, uh, as I said, uh, he's coming up to 97. Yep. So while he's still very, very independent... Um, and still wants to um, say um, live in his the the family home. It's not without um, problems. Sure. But I guess when you when you get to that age, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just uh, I've, I've just changed hand, uh, arms. It's just um, yeah, I guess I've had so probably it was after I had the leak amputated that I really became actively. Um, Involved on the uh, the uh, the sporting side because I was uh, pretty active before um, I had my leg amputated because I sailed in the the sixteen foot skips oh, and I did that for about seventeen years. I had to actually give that up um, when I had um, 
my leg amputated, but then I'd actually joined a, a private golf club um, and I'd had a couple of years playing for Huntersville Rugby Club uh, just in the fourth grade side, uh, playing on the wing, but I used to play 18 holes of golf on a Saturday morning and then rush off and play rugby in the afternoon. Oh, wow, that's a big day. It was was a, a big day, and then, of course, after the amputation in 79, well, I had to give the... Um, the um, obviously the uh, the sailing up, but I was still involved on the uh, with the the rugby as the manager of the Judd Cup and also the Kentwell Cup in in 1980, and then so probably after that I became involved with the um, the Amputee Association, and I'd started to organise a a few games of. Um, Golf. Uh, we had quite a uh, we had a few amputees, but then um, the golf club that I belonged to, Massey Park. Um, I so I'd been there for quite a long time, and then I'd um, join Barnwell Park, which is very close to where I live. But I became actively involved with the uh, the the blind golfers, and I guess I've had so probably about a thirty year um, association with them. Uh, I still do to a certain extent, but not as much as what I used to, mainly because I'm still on uh, playing, say, in the uh, in the club competition um, every uh, every Saturday against the the um, you know able-bodied um, guys. And yep. as I said, um, I don't spend that much time with them, although. Um, I did the um, I did some guiding for their state championships a couple of weeks ago, and I'd when the because they hosted the uh, the world championships okay. uh, that was at Nelson Bay that was back in 2014. So we had 52 um, golfers from all over the uh, the world, and uh, I did the uh, photography for that. Oh, awesome! And um, that I'd also done quite a lot of um, marshalling uh, at the major golf tournaments. I'd done that, did that for about um, 10, oh, probably about 10, 10 or 12 years. I'd done a lot of the uh, the Callan Challenges, the Greg Norman uh, Classics, uh, a lot at um, at the uh, the Lakes. But the, the, the last tournament that I did was at the uh, the Lakes. It was the, uh, the Greg Norman Classic, where I, because of my experience, I was actually a roving marshal um, for Peter Senior. And what they do on the uh, the last day of the tournament, they have the uh, the top ten players have roving marshals. Um, they're in addition to the static marshal. So basically, what we have to do is um, more or less after they tee off, we so probably have to more or less. Uh, leapfrog ahead and uh, get to where their balls are because uh, most of the time it's um, things work pretty uh, smoothly but there are a couple of holes at the uh, the lakes where uh, crowd control yep. can be a bit of a a problem so this is where the uh, the static marshals come in and um, these days I just watch the uh, the uh, the golf on. TV, but then I formed the Disabled um, Golf Association, and we'd, I'd organised a few uh, tournaments where, say, the the amputees would play with the um, 
the blind golfers. We also had the uh, the deaf golfers, but um, we ha- also had two uh, incomplete uh, paraplegics playing as well. Oh, cool. And um, I, the f- first guy uh, that I met was through a, a guy who ran a um, a golf shop. And I was buying some clubs, and um, he knew I was an amputee, and he introduced me to this guy. So the very first tournament that I'd organised, he he came along and pushed himself around uh, in his wheelchair. But he actually played, um, hit his shots sitting in the the wheelchair. Oh, nice! So you mentioned you mentioned your amputation, mate. Take us up to 1979 and what happened. Uh. Well, it was um, it was a weird one. Um, it was a, actually it was a, a jaw cancer. Okay. Um, and it was quite common to get this cancer in the uh, in the uh, the jaw. My dentist knew all about it, but I ended up getting it say probably um, about halfway down my left leg. And what happened was it. it um, the cancer was actually um, eating into the uh, the uh, the the bone, but it was actually calcifying, which formed a lump right. over the top. Okay. And um, it used to give me a bit of a jip when I was having the shower first thing in the morning. Yep. Um, it, and as soon as I put my feet on the um, the cold tile floor, yeah, it used to hurt like hell. And of course, if I if I happened to uh, to bump it. Yeah, I certainly knew about it, but sure. then it was the the lump was getting a uh, bit larger and larger, and um, so I went to the local doctor. Um, he referred me to a um, a specialist, and uh, they put me into hospital and said so they um, they did a biopsy, and then it came back that it was um, malignant. So um, there was an alternative that they did suggest, where they'd actually cut a section out. And put a rod yeah. in the in the leg, and uh, I wasn't terribly keen on that because they said I'd be in hospital for about um, six months, and if I had a fall, there was no guarantee that um, there wouldn't be further problems. So I thought the um, the best thing to do is to um, have it amputated, um, but because. Uh, say it was a result of, um, say, cancer and wasn't a result of um, an injury or a car accident. They had plenty of um, stump to work with, yep. and he'd done rather a quite a neat job with the, uh, the, the nerve end, so I've been very fortunate that I haven't experienced that um, phantom pain. Yeah, same here. Um, I've never, never experienced it either. And it, um, yeah, yeah some, people, some people can get it really bad. I mean, I've had... Uh, it doesn't mean to say that I haven't had problems uh, because I got back into golf um, very quickly. Um, I'd, when I was at Massey Park, I'd actually got a, a blister on the, the stump the size of a tennis ball. Wow. And that had to be um, drained, and it was uh, they had to treat it like a Burns victim, so I had to go back every day where they'd put sterile dressings on it. Yeah. And uh, until it finally dried out, and then I had um, another one on the further up. I thought it was a boil, but it was an ingrown hair. Right. And they had to actually cut that open, so it was about uh, an inch and a half cut. But they couldn't stitch it, so once again I was laid up while I just had to um, 
gradually um, heal. So I had a bit of time where um, I um, spent, uh, you know, spent laid up um, and so resorting to to crutches. Um, but I've been pretty lucky, but unfortunately, um, the the guy that I've been seeing at um, had retired after 25 years, and the um, I'm not mentioning any names, but the yeah. guy that uh, took over didn't know what the hell he was doing, and, and it was that bad that so probably it adjusted it, and uh, I tried to play play golf, and I went lame after the very first hole. Yeah. So I had to quit, and then for 12 months after that, because the because we came under the the limb scheme, um, the government wouldn't approve a third a third socket. So for 12 months, I put up with having to play golf and taking the leg off uh, every three or four holes, and I was doing that five about five times around just to ease the the pressure. Stick the leg back on, and, and I'd go for another three or four holes. Yep. And uh, I put up with that for uh, 12 months, and then I changed uh, the from the, the the limb clinic that I've been going to since 1979. I went to uh, APC Prosthetics at um, Northmead uh, under the species of um, David Howell, who is well renowned in the um, the amputee world. So probably having a lot to do with the uh, Paralympian movement. And uh, he also looks after um, Jeff Nicholas and also uh, Shane Luke as well. But within, so probably the um, the socket that he uh, he made for me, he certainly knew, uh, knows his business. I haven't had an ounce of trouble with it. Oh, good. And that's that's say probably I've had the uh, the new socket for about um, going on about twelve months now. But the actual leg itself is. Um, yeah, be getting on about three years. So, okay. uh, but everything's going okay. But one thing that they um, did do for me because I played golf was actually put a rotator. Yep. In the in the foot. Yep. So I can so I can swivel. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that's that's helped me a lot. But because it's through the uh, uh, the the limb scheme, I don't have one of those computerised computerised legs so there's a lot of um, pro- problems that I have I mean I could walk the legs off a kangaroo say if it's dead flat but um, say getting down steps and down slopes is a little bit little bit awkward and even after even after I had the um, the quadriceps on the right knee reattached it meant that um, I had to say quit um, volunteering in the the, the the submarine. So, but anyway, fortunately, after say an absence of about um, two years, um, I'm back in the, the the sub now because so actually to get into the sub at the Maritime Museum, you have to actually go down through um, the 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 hole or the chute where they loaded the torpedoes. Okay. And they had um, torpedoes in the um, in the aft ends, um, but the torpedoes are a lot smaller, which means that the when you're getting out of the submarine, it's a little bit more cramped. So it was just it was just putting too much strain yeah. um, on my, my knee. But um, but because the knee's stronger now, um, yes, I'm I'm back 
doing doing what I'm doing because I uh, probably I do the uh, the vampire and also the um, the endeavour. Um, but my main love is the is the the submarine onslaught, awesome. which we've had in the museum since 1999. Wow. So after after the amputation, you did you need chemo or anything like that? No, no, I was actually rather lucky um, because it was caught early. Um, the only thing that I um, had to have was uh, just go and have a, a, a standard lung X-ray, and I had to do that um, every twelve uh, twelve months and uh, for five years. And right. uh, I've had a, a clean a clean um, bill of health. I mean, I've had a few problems just recently uh, the last couple of years with um, skin cancers from playing golf. Yep. Um, I had one taken off the, the side of my nose and another one just recently which was taken off the the top of the head which was a nasty little sod. Um, it wasn't as bad as melanoma but a squamous, a SCC, squamous cell carcinoma um, is uh, can be pretty nasty and there's three levels and I had the, uh, the, uh, the worst level. So I just have to be very, very careful. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's... Um, Part and parcel of, say, probably uh, uh, playing golf. Yeah. How long did it take you to get back to work? Um. Well, while I was still, well, it was quite funny because I was working for an American company, and uh, so I probably had the, the leg amputated at the end of November, and um, because working for an American company, the end of the financial year is uh, December. Yep. So they were they were bringing work to me while I was. Uh, still in still in Ride Hospital <laughs> and uh, got me signing checks. So um, I had to uh, to get back to um, to work because the the end of the financial year um, is in December. So I was working. So probably even before I'd been fit, fitted for the artificial leg, I was uh, say driving myself to work and hobbling round on crutches. But I was working fourteen hour days. Oh no. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I guess it took me um, took my, my mind off uh, what was you know what had happened. But I uh, I so probably um, didn't have any problems e- e- accepting it. Um, I was able to so probably I think surprised my wife and everybody else and even the doctor when he said, look, you know, it's cancer, and I virtually said, well, you know, well. I think the need to. I think probably the best thing to do straight away is to have the uh, the leg amputated because uh, because it was a say a cancer. If I hadn't have done it, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been here today. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So what's what's next for you, mate? Well, one of my one of my things. Because so probably I'd always like to see it happen and eventuate because of say being involved with the amputee golf. But uh, it it looks more than likely that. Um, golf will be become a Paralympic sport. Oh, nice! Yeah, because we had the the Australian Open here at um, at the, the the lakes. They had twelve amputees playing, and even with the the Invictus Games, uh, I found out afterwards that um, they had um, they had amputees playing golf in the Invictus Games. But that that was actually on before. The uh, the uh, the games actually started, okay. and if I had have known um, that it was on, 
yeah, I would have loved to have actually gone out and, and seen it. But, um, yeah, so I think it's more than likely that um, it will be, um, it will be um, say, a Paralympic sport. Sure. But one thing I would like to, um, to do, because of my involvement with, um, say, the, the, the blind golfers, is actually to help, say, uh, help amputees... Um, get into to uh, to golf because I'm so probably a bit of a student of golf itself. I understand how things how things work, and I'd say probably uh, develop myself to um, say where I'm a more than adequate golfer. I still like everybody else. I still stuff up yeah. big time on a few a uh, few holes, but I but I understand golf, and I've. So being able to um, adapt my game to, um, say, the disability, um, being a left leg amputee, as distinct from a lot of the guys who were playing at um, the, the lakes who were, had their right leg amputated, um, because I'm, I use right-handed clubs, but I'm left-handed in everything that I do, right, right ha- uh, left-handed, yep. but because my left leg is... Um, been amputated when you're coming through on the uh, your downswing um, you have to be extremely careful that you say probably um, you can't swing as say probably hard as what you say probably the the guys who have had their their right leg um, amputated because they're coming down onto a solid platform but I guess I've um, um, been able to adapt that I mean obviously one of the the other downside the age of 76 you lose a hell of a lot of um, uh, distance, huh. yeah. But I reckon the only way I could say probably get uh, get further distance um, is say probably standing on an elevated tee uh, with a downhill lie with a tailwind and then start running backwards as hard <laughs> as I bloody well can after I've the ball. <laughs> That'd work. <laughs> yeah, that that should work. No, no one would notice. <laughs> All right, before we finish up. Um, I've been asking people for words of wisdom. Um, you and I, we've both been amputees for a long time and there are, there are people out there who are currently thinking about it or going through it or have just gone through it. Um, do you have any wor- words of wisdom that you might be able to share with them? Uh, well, one one thing that um, one of the uh, the mates that I've uh, been playing, uh, playing golf with as a group for close on 60 years now, um, he said to me after you had the um, the amputation is that when the the going gets tough the 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 tough gets going and the the other thing that I think of is say the um, the motto of Huntersill Rugby Club is factor non verba okay. um, deeds deeds not words yep. And so I'm more or less um, constantly uh, thinking of of that. And I guess uh, the the other thing is that say probably you think you've you've got it bad, but there's always somebody out there who's a lot worse than 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 what you. And I think the other thing is the sooner you can say come to uh, grips with uh, your situation, the uh, the uh, the better off. Um, you're going to be. I mean, okay, there's probably they're going to be. We all go through it. There's going to be periods where we start feeling sorry for ourselves, 
but the sooner you can say, okay, yeah, fine. Um, and I guess I was pretty lucky because I uh, I had map uh, had it all mapped out what I wanted to do. I mean, obviously, my sailing days were well and truly over, but because I'd been so playing golf for such a long time, I was able to actually get back into what I was doing. Ended up playing better golf than before I had my leg amputated. So. And um, I've I've uh, got many good things out of say probably uh, playing golf, my involvement say with the disabled golf, the and also the amputees. I mean, and there's another saying: you you get back uh, what you uh, what you put in. And I feel I've say probably got a lot more back than what I've put in. So for that, I'm very thankful. Excellent. Well, to all our loyal listeners, thanks once again for being here. If you would like to share your story, please get in touch with me, just like Jay did. And now we have his story to share with everyone. I promise to make it as pain-free as I possibly can. Go to our new Facebook page where you can message me directly or send through an email. Don't forget to join our new Missing Bits Facebook page where the conversations can continue. If you like what we're doing, share it with your friends, download it, review it on Apple Podcasts. All these things help us get our stories out there. We all have a story to tell about our missing bits. Thanks so much for your time, Jay, and for sharing your story. It's been great getting to know you.